This sermon was recorded at Highway San Jose in San Jose, California. If you'd like to find out more about Highway Community, you can head to www.highway.org. Well, welcome you guys. Thanks for being here. Uh, We are excited tonight to begin a new series on the life of one of Scripture's most colorful, controversial characters, and that's David. Now, uh, David was a, was a hero of the Old Testament, or at least that's how he's often described. Uh, he was a king of Israel. He was an ancestor of Jesus. He was a musician. He was a poet. He was an exotic dancer at times. David was a military leader. He was a person who held immense power, and he was not afraid to use that power at times. Uh, he was a loyal friend. He was a fair-minded ruler, and he was wise in battle and speech as Scripture tells us. But was David a hero? That's a loaded term, and, uh, you know, for my money, David was a hero, but uh, not in the ways in which we might usually ascribe the term, Uh, because David was also a terrible husband, an adulterer, and a murderer, among other things. You know, when I was a younger man uh, reading the Bible, I used to kind of marvel at the human characters within and think, you know, maybe, maybe... Is there an ounce of that kind of character, you know, within me somewhere, you know, uh, that these men and women kind of possess? And, you know, as time goes by and you live life and you get deeper into the scriptures, you realize, you know, the truth about our so-called biblical heroes. So if there's anything heroic about David, I think that it's his humanity, that for all of his achievements, his flash, his shock and awe, he was, a, he was a broken human being, hopelessly reliant on God, the same as you and I. David was, like the 90s song goes, just a slob like one of us, after all. That's the true heroic nature of David, I think. So the best way to read Scripture and is not to view the men and women among the pages, the human characters as heroes or anti-heroes, you know, and in terms of the human characters and their stories, you know, they're not designs for living, per se. I think I thought that when I was younger. But we should always be looking at what the human characters reveal about God, and there we find the true wisdom of Scripture. You know, and yet, the book of 1 Samuel describes David as a man after God's heart. That's, there's something very intriguing there, right? That's, that's what we'd all like to be known as, right? Men and women after God's heart. So that's the honorific title given to David, kind of part of Samuel's prophecy of, uh, you know, who would inherit the throne from Saul. And with all the ups and downs of David's life and the push and pull he experienced and the, and the light and the shade, you know, he remained a man after God's heart. He had a heart that beat toward God. We want that, Right? We want to be known as that. We want to be known as those people. So what was it about that? What made David to be that person? And more importantly, what is it about God that we learn about David's relationship with him that might make us into men and women after God's heart? Well, that's what we're going to look at in this series. That's what we're going to hopefully uncover as we move through David's story. How do we live so that we might have hearts after God's heart. So David's humanity is his heroic quality, I think. His second most heroic quality, I think, for me, is that he wrote the Psalms, baby. I mean, 
the Psalms are fantastic. The Psalms are such a fount of wisdom and life and instruction and art and language and communication and rhythm. And they provide basically a laboratory for studying the underpinnings of David's relationship with God. There was a stage show that began, I think, in Los Angeles a few years back, and now it's a podcast and a few other things. But the, the concept of this show is very simple. It was get regular people, put them on stage, and have them read excerpts from their high school diaries. It's called Mortified. It's, uh, it's really something. It's really funny and really inappropriate, if you can check it out. But the Psalms, in a way, are David's journal of his relationship with God. You know, we read these epic narratives of his life in the Old Testament, and the Psalms are the raw emotional material of that narrative. They're like the DVD commentary of, you know, the epic story of David, of the feature presentation. The Psalms are one of those areas where Scripture gets poetic. You know, it, there's great insight there about what an honest, open, passionate relationship with Yahweh might look like an insight into how we might strive to live lives after God's heart. You know, the Psalms, I think, are essential to any Christian pursuit, and um, for our glance into David's life, they're essential as well. Uh, back in November, the creative arts team and I went to Austin to a, to a conference, and Nick and I got to meet um, Robbie C., who writes a lot of the worship songs that we do, Merciful King, and we are free and things like that. And we were at a, a seminar on liturgy, and he said, you know, everything changed for him when he read or somebody told him that, that Christ himself probably would have walked around with a copy of the Psalter in his tunic pocket, you know. And it kind of opened up a whole new world for him, and he did a three-album project about the Psalms and trying to sing the Psalms. Just that idea that Christ himself would have been so familiar with the Psalms. So the Psalms are essential. They were probably essential to Christ. They're essential to us. Fuller Theological Seminary recently made a short film that was a, an interview with Eugene Peterson. And uh, Peterson wrote The Message, which is a modern paraphrase of the Bible. And that's a project that he started with the Psalms. And the film is a, con is a conversation with Peterson, uh, one of the professors at Fuller, and uh, one of Peterson's biggest fans, Bono, lead singer of U2 and famous activist and person of interest. So we're going to watch uh, a short excerpt from that film just as we get started. There's content in there that describes the unique role that the Psalms play in our lives or should play, the unique role that art plays, and I think this helps frame our introduction of David. So let's check out uh, an excerpt from this interview with Eugene Peterson. to say in the last years Eugene's writing has kept me as sane as as this is if you call it sane which you probably won't uh, Room of the Horses that's a powerful manual for me and it includes a lot of incendiary ideas you know I I hadn't really thought of, of Jeremiah as a performance artist. Why do we need art? Why do we need the lyric poetry of the Psalms? 
Why do we now? Because the only way we can approach God is, if we're honest, through metaphor, through symbol. So art becomes essential, not decorative. I learned about art. I learned about the prophets. Uh, I learned about Jeremiah with that book, and that really changed me. And what sort finally he listened and he lifted me out of the ditch. And he pulled me from deep mud. He stood me up on a solid rock to make sure that I wouldn't slip. He taught me how to sing the latest God song. What is your earliest memory of the Psalms and what sort of impression did it have on you both? I was 12 years old when I discovered the Psalms. I picked up the Bible and I started reading. And somebody told me that the Psalms were important, so I started with the Psalms. And I was totally confused. Because um, I grew up in a culture where every word in the Bible was the word of God, literally. Don't mess around with it. It's just, that's the way it is. And I was starting to read uh, that he keeps my tears in this bottle. Uh, Shields, uh, javelins, uh, rock. God is a rock. Come on. And um, after about two or three weeks of this, I just was just confused, and I thought, I'm missing something. And uh, I'd never heard the word metaphor before, but I learned what a metaphor was, not by knowing the name, but by just observing what's going on in the Psalms. So I think the Psalms are important because they, for some people like me at 12 years old, they showed me that imagination was, um, was a way to get inside the truth. They have this rawness, the brutal honesty of whether it's David or not, it doesn't matter. The Psalmist is brutally honest about the explosive joy um, that he's feeling and the deep sorrow or confusion. And it's that that makes, that sets the Psalms apart for me. And, and I often think, gosh, well, why isn't church music more like that? I got started uh, with this, uh, translating the Psalms by translating a psalm for a certain person, just a single person, um, to try to get them to realize that praying wasn't being nice before God. I would translate a psalm that I thought fit them. And you know, the psalms are not pretty. They're not, they're not nice. And, um, and I would ask them, just pray this psalm using my translation, I think I'm doing it as about as close to the Hebrew as I can get it. And, but it's, it's not smooth. It's not nice. It's not pretty. But it's, it's honest. And I think we're trying for honesty, um, which is very, very hard in our, in our 
culture. I, I'm talking about dishonesty. That I find a lot of in the, in, in Christian art, a lot of dishonesty. Yeah, right. and, I, and, I, and, I, and I think it's a shame because you got these are people who are vulnerable to God, in a good way. You know, vulnerable. I mean, porous, open. Be with us as we continue our lives of serving you with poetry, with the arts, with song, finding ways to enter into what you're doing, already doing, not calculating the chances, but doing what's right there, what you've already started doing. So thank you for this day, the hours of this day. Your blessing, Lord, Lord. Give us your blessing. Amen. So there's a lot of insight there, but just that idea that the Psalms are kind of the gut level, raw emotional material of our walk with the Creator. And you know, um, it's, it's that attempt that the Psalms have to describe the ineffable God and the impossible idea that we walk with Him. And uh, the only way to do that is through metaphor, is through language, creativity. The Psalms are real and they reach toward God. Um, it's, it's really the human mind trying to make sense of the idea that we travel with God. I can remember when I was, uh, when I was just learning to play guitar, my best friend and I um, were trying to write songs, you know, and some of the most horrible abominations of the human language happened when young men try to write their first songs, right? But, so we looked at, the, we kind of knew that, I think, so we looked to the Psalms, you know, we tried to find, you know, that, that deep language, and we had a song that kind of went, you know, my soul is weary with sorrow, strengthen me, you know, and that's all we had, just kind of this little figure, and like, I think we played an open mic with just that, you know, for five minutes, but the Psalms are that, that gut level language that describes our walk with God, and to me, one of the most beautiful things about the Psalms of David, and I think this is worth keeping in mind as we go through the series, is that you know, it, it reflects, you know, the fact that for all the craziness in David's life and, and, and the mood swings and the triumphs and the, and the terrible failures and the inexcusable destruction that he caused, you know, David saw his life that it was lived out with God. He never lost touch with that. You know, in the Psalms, the speaker is never so bad or so evil or so lost that he can't ask for the presence of God again. He can't try to reconcile that relationship. You know, similarly, when the, when the times are good and the speaker is blessed, there's a constant thirst for God. There's a delight in the closeness of God. So that's one of the most attractive things about David to me is that he never lost sight of his place with God. He never lost sight that it was him and God together. As bad as he was, as good as he was, he never lost that. Uh, we're going to sing we're just going to take a breath and sing a psalm, and it's Psalm 139, the, the psalm that the, uh, that the sand video was based on, this idea that God has known us uh, since the beginning. Here's an excerpt from that. 139, verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. 
Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. The psalmist knows he can't escape the bigness and the sovereignty of the Lord. In our context, I think it's easy, it's easy for me to just sort of shut God out, right? If we're feeling shameful, if we're angry, we're distracted, it's easy to just push those feelings aside. But in the Psalms, man and God are together and they're hashing it out together, page after page after page. I love that. Uh, the psalmist knows that shutting God out is impossible. And as an artist, you know, he fills that vital role of describing the indescribable, of looking into the face of God and in the face of that relationship with him and telling the truth about it, telling the truth about when he's feeling ashamed or feeling angry or feeling abandoned, you know. Psalm 141, I call to you, Lord, come quickly to me. Hear me when I call to you. May my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting up of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. Set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not let my heart be drawn to what is evil so that I take part in wicked deeds along with those who are evildoers. Do not let me eat their delicacies. Those, there's vulnerability in the Psalms. I love that. You know, we recognize the only thing that stands between us and obliteration is God, life and death. David understood that as the psalmist, as a person, as an artist. So let's take a breath right now and just sing a psalm together, Psalm 139. As we do this, let that idea sink in that, you know, it's, it's you and God. For, for David, it was the same. It was him and God. He never lost sight of that. And for us, it's us with God, and we walk with him. We can't escape his presence. Let's sing together. So if the psalms can be the backdrop to our study of David, and they can be the backdrop of our lives as well, and in fact, I love this series art that Christie's made here. You can kind of see the text of the psalms kind of in the back there, sort of covering everything. I love that idea. So if the, if the psalms are kind of the raw emotional material of the David story, let's look at some of the narrative text of David's life, uh, just to get a, a quick picture of him. And ironically, a good place to start by looking at David is to look at King Saul. Now, Saul was the first king of Israel, and he was prophesied over and promised many of the same things that were promised to David, power, a lengthy rule, and the blessings of God, but it didn't, it didn't work out. So why is that? So David and this concept of a man after God's heart or a heart after God's heart is unique to him. It wasn't the case for Saul. So let's look at Saul, the king that David replaced and compare and contrast the two. What was it about David that God favored? It's not that David wasn't a sinner, we're gonna see that for sure, but something about his heart status made him more suited to the job. So let's check this out. So in the book of 1 Samuel, Saul is given instructions from the prophet Samuel uh, about how to defeat the Philistines. And like, like many of us, he partially obeys. He's supposed to wait for Samuel, and Samuel was a prophet, a holy man, and when Samuel arrived, they were to administer the sacrifices, the burnt offerings up to God, and then get on with their campaign against the enemy. So Israel is outnumbered here in the situation, and Saul's army begins to panic. 
Uh, the scripture describes the Philistine army as having soldiers as numerous as sand on the seashore. Those are terrible odds. So the army says, okay, we're out of here. Saul's losing control of his men. Some of them hide. Some of them just become deserters and cross the Jordan and get the heck out of there. So Saul panics as well. He lights these sacrifices himself before Samuel arrives. And here's what happens for Samuel 13. You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. So there we see that description of David for the first time, the king that will replace Saul, a man after God's own heart. It gets worse for Saul from here. So next he's directed to wipe out the Amalekites, a terribly violent people who were hell-bent on genocide and destruction. And on top of that, the instruction was, don't take any plunder, don't take any of, of their stuff, don't take any livestock, just, just get rid of them. This was a pure mission of justice uh, decreed by God. He said, don't take anything, just get rid of these people. Saul accepts this challenge, but then he returns, and uh, we see Samuel finds him, and he hears, you know, he hears cows mooing, and he hears, you know, sheep's bleeding, and he, and he basically says, what's, what's going on here? And, you know, Saul is like, well, no, we took a couple, you know, it's like, it's no big deal. Like, relax. Samuel says this, First Samuel 15, enough, Samuel said to Saul, let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission saying, go ahead and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agog, their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from their plunder, the best of what was devoted to God in order to sacrifice them to the Lord, your God, at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance, like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. That phrase there is chilling. To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. Saul had a, a divided heart. He had a desire to obey God, but his obedience was partial. He didn't step into his role with his whole heart. I think that's one difference between he and David. By contrast, let's look at the Psalms. Psalm 63, you, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. 
I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods, and with singing lips my mouth will praise you. On my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. You know, these are not the words of someone who might partially obey, somebody who might march into battle and grab a few hogs for themselves, you know. Partial obedience is dangerous, and it reflects that undivided heart, that divided heart, excuse me. In Germany, there's a town, Ordruf, the site of one of the worst Nazi death camps in World War II. And when uh, General Eisenhower came to the town, liberated it, and they discovered the camp, he asked the mayor, why did you let this happen? Why didn't you do anything? And the mayor responded, we didn't know. And after going to see the camp over a couple of days, uh, the mayor and his wife hung themselves. And they left a note that said this, we didn't know, but we knew. Sometimes we know the path, but we partially follow it. We partially obey. We have divided hearts. But God is looking for undivided hearts because his heart is not divided toward us. He doesn't kind of love us, you know. He loves us. Here's what the book of Deuteronomy says about God's love for his people. Chapter 7. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land nations of those who love him and keep his commandments. God is looking for undivided hearts because his heart is not divided toward us. And undivided hearts doesn't mean perfect people, okay? David was not perfect, you know, far from it. And we're going to see that as we go through this series, you know, in living color. There are no perfect people, obviously. There are no heroes, really. What I mean is that the, the devotion that we see in the Psalms where it's unthinkable that life could exist outside of God. It doesn't mean we don't struggle. It doesn't mean that we don't sin. It doesn't mean that we're not constantly working things out with fear and trembling, as the saying goes. But we always know our place in the world because we always know God's place in the world and in our lives. So ultimately, we, we can't look to David for clues on how to live, but we divided hearts, and we don't have to lose heart. Saul didn't have to lose heart when he and his men were scared in the wilderness, facing the Philistines. David didn't have to fear and lose heart when he faced Goliath and a host of other troubles in his life. And we don't need to lose heart when we face the mountains in our lives. You know, last week, as part of a kind of an interactive exercise, we had the chance to reflect on the burdens that we carry and this idea that we're supposed to carry one another's burdens. And so we wrote those burdens on cards. And uh, it was a privilege to read those this week and to pray for them as a staff and there was some heavy material on those cards. Lots of us are struggling. Lots of us are fearful. And there's comfort in knowing that we're not alone. You know, this is backbreaking work to sort of put it together here in the Bay Area and to, to stay, you know, solvent in Silicon Valley. But we're all there. We're not alone in that. And we don't have to lose heart. 
And I think, you know, God has a word for us tonight, and I don't want this to be a Christian kind of Band-Aid thing, but, you know, it's not that. Um, if there's a lesson here to begin our David series, I think that's David, screwed up as he was, he attempted to love God back with as much vigor as God showed him through his love. You know, and that's, that can be impossible for us as humans, but the attempt of that, that's an undivided heart. Those are hearts after God's heart. So Stephanie's going to come up and kind of take us through an exercise uh, where we read some of those cards together and realize that we're not alone and we don't have to lose heart. We can remember that God is at work and he's at work in us, even in the blackness that surrounds us, even in the darkness in our own lives. We'll see that in David's story as we go forward. He's at work in the world despite the divisions and the violence. He's not through with us. He's not through with you or with me. So Stephanie will come up and read some of the cards so that we have that sense that we're not alone. And we'll pray together and remind ourselves together of God's love for us. And we challenge each other not to lose heart.